Philippians chapter 8. Um, the words will come on the screen, and if you have your own version with you, then you can follow along if that's helpful to you. So it's entitled, The Collection for the Lord's People. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable, according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality, as it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Father, I pray that you give us ears to hear this morning and hearts to receive. I pray that you blessed him as he um, delivers what he has heard from you this week, um, and that you will be glorified um, through what happens in the next half hour or so. Amen. Morning, everybody. Good to have you here. If you're here for the first time, great to have you. Hope you'll feel at home here uh, amongst us. Uh, do say hi at the end. I'd love to get to know you a little bit. Uh, if you haven't been aware of it, something incredible has happened over the last few days. It all started with one person asking a very simple question. That question got an answer, and then suddenly, in just a very short, sort of short time, Hundreds of millions of people, if not more, all across the world are seeing it. Social media is on fire with it. Everybody seems to have a comment about it. I know that there has been a wedding, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this, Yanni or Laurel. In case you've missed it, there has been an argument raging this week that has divided nations. And it all stems to one question. What do you hear? Do you hear the word Laurel or Yanni? If you have no idea what I'm on about, here's the question. We're gonna listen to the video. And what do you hear? Do you hear the word Laurel or Yanni? Here we go, let's play this first video. Laurel. 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 If you pause that for a moment. Now, put your hands Laurel. up if you hear the word Laurel. Okay, put your hands down. Put your hands if you heard the word Yanni. 
Interesting. Let's listen to it again. Same one, yeah, please. Laurel. 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 Okay, this is perfect, great. Apparently, it is the word laurel. It's a computer-generated saying of the word laurel for a particular internet entry on Laurel and Hardy. But apparently our ears, because we're all made differently, hear slightly different tones, and because of that, we hear slightly different words. And so if we play the second video, this is the same thing at different tones, and you'll begin to understand why we might hear different things. Let's play this video. Laurel. 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 On and on and on. Laurel. We'll pause there. We've done some random things in church. I never thought we'd be discussing the words Yanny or Laurel. Why on earth might you be thinking, are we talking about Yanni or Laurel? Here's the point. For some of us, it is so obvious what the word is that we cannot hear anything different. And for others of us, think it's so obvious it's the other word that we can't understand how people hear that word differently. Well, this week, we continue our series in some apparent tensions in the Bible. We're in the middle of a series called And, Embracing the Tensions of Life, where there are apparently some tensions in the Bible that actually if we hold those tensions in the tension, we'll discover something beautiful. So do take a fly, see what's coming up. You've got it in your outlooks, but also in Outlook, you'll find some questions for you to study on your own or in groups or whatever it may be. But today, we're gonna focus on two words, which I think in our society, we are pretty clear what those words mean. And we can't understand how on earth people would think differently. And yet when we come to the pages of the Bible, the way the Bible understands those words is so different to our ears that we struggle to understand what the Bible means. But maybe as we burrow down into what we can't currently hear, we'll find something so liberating for our life. Here's the two words that I think the Bible's perspective is so different than ours. Here it is, rich and poor. And the question we're answering this morning is simply, can you have it all when you've got nothing? Because the biblical perspective on these two words is so radically different, we struggle to understand. Money is right at the heart of our culture. This is Lily Allen, the pop star, in an interview in Q magazine. Money is the answer. There's a lot of money in this world just waiting to be taken. I want some, please. This is Cher a few years ago. I'm scared to death of being poor. It's my pet paranoia. In our society, largely, we have bought into the idea that rich is good, poor is bad. I want to be rich, I don't want to be poor. 
And with one or two romantic exceptions like the Amish or monks or things like that, we cannot escape the allure of money. And in the Bible, we come face to face with some shocking claims that actually you can be very, very rich indeed and be the poorest person on the planet. Or you can be very, very poor indeed, but be wealthy beyond your wildest dreams. And to help us with that, we're going to come to this little moment in the Bible, this little case study from the Apostle Paul about a church who are living out this different perspective. And maybe if we listen to their experience, our mind might be totally transformed and we see everything so clearly and so differently. So three things from the passage, three perspectives for us, and here's the first one. How to be rich when you're poor. The situation is that the church in Jerusalem is very poor. As a result, Paul is going around the whole region telling people about Jesus, churches are starting, and in Macedonia, there's some Christians who have been very, very kind to help their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And it's amazing how Paul describes them. Look at verse two that was read to us. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. There isn't some rich benefactor. They are extremely poor. Not just poor, extremely poor. And yet richly generous in fact not just generous verse 3 for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability they're not just generous they're radically generous and you notice their attitude in it Paul goes on entirely on their own they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They were begging to give money away. Compare that to our fundraising strategies. Any fundraisers in this morning? How often do you get that? Please, I want to give you money, rather than please, can you give me some money? They were begging, please help us and let us help you by giving so radically. That, says Paul, is true riches. They had little, and yet with radical generosity, they were truly wealthy. It's so incredible that we might say it's a bit of a miracle, really. It's totally alien to our mindset. And Paul says the same thing, basically, verse one. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. There's something spiritual going on here. This is not just their kind of psychos. There's a gift from God that has enabled them to be so generous in this way, a grace gift. Hold that word for a moment, we'll come back to it. And do you notice what was linked with their gift? They didn't do it begrudgingly because the people in Jerusalem were needy, so they said, all right, I suppose we've got to. Verse two again. In the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy. Joy. 
My highlight from the wedding yesterday was this moment. Did you see it? I loved the look on that little guy's face. The page boy, as they got to the door of the church and then the trumpet sounded and his face was like, wow. Pure, unbridled joy. These Christians in Macedonia were extremely poor, but full of joy. Linked with the fact that they were radically generous. Did you know a survey a few years ago was conducted of a variety of different people and the question was asked, how much money would you need, how much more money would you need to be happy in your life? And the people that were asked this were a wide variety of people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, different amounts of money. And regardless of how wealthy people were, what jobs they had and how much in their bank accounts, the overwhelming research was that to be happy, everybody needed just 10% more, regardless of how much they actually had. In other words, we all think we've bought into this myth that if we just had this, then I'd be full of joy. But here, joy and wealth aren't linked. Joy and poverty are linked. What? It's totally alien in our mindset. They were full of joy because in their poverty they were richly generous. Wow. We can't get our heads around that. A friend of mine used to be a trader in the city of London, earning a lot of money. He was a millionaire. He had the Porsche, he had the swimming pool, he lived in New York, he had the fancy life. And he said to me once, I was never happier than when I became a follower of Jesus, sat on the floor in my flat without a sofa to sit on. And the reality is, some of us know this stuff about money and we may give assent to it, but deep down, we still have bought the myth that if we just had a little bit more, I would be full of joy. And some of us depend just a little bit too much on money to be our savior, not the savior that they have found. And we might deep down know this, but it's a continual battle, isn't it? To realize that regardless of circumstances, they discovered true riches, not in their money. And we'll get to that in a moment. But there's a second application, I think, just of these opening verses. And it's this. Are we waiting until we have that little bit more before we decide to start giving away. They were extremely generous with nothing. Extreme poverty, says Paul. And Sam, can I just talk for a moment for those that would call Riverside your home, your family, you've come along to Riverside for a little while, but you know that you've never quite got round to kind of giving or, or, or supporting what goes on here and the ministries involved within Riverside. Over the next day or so, if you're plugged into Riverside, you should get a letter. You might have got it already or you should get it over the next uh, day or so. Which just summarizing our financial situation, what's going on and give thanks for lots of things and there's some challenges in that as well. But can I encourage you, if you've never ever 
kind of properly got your head act together and, and kind of got round to actually thinking how I might do this regularly, to think maybe, just maybe, I could do that as a way of saying, yes, I want to be like these people that regardless of what I do have, to be generous, radically so, with all that God has given to me, how big or little we may think that is. If you want more information, you should get a letter through the post. There's detail on it. If not, head to the welcome point afterwards. There's some leaflets there. They do take one of those as well. Or come and chat to me afterwards if you'd like. But can I show you how something is described by Paul? They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord. That word sharing is the same word fellowship, partnership. They knew that even though these people were over here, as they gave, they were partners together. Part of what God's doing. And so they're supporting each other in it. And not only so, the privilege of sharing in this service, that word service is the same word as grace. So they knew they were partners in God's grace together as they gave. Amazing. That's a rich life, says Paul, regardless of what you do have. And if you look at verse seven, Paul says something astonishing. In a culture in which we highlight other aspects of what it means to follow Jesus, here's what Paul says. Since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, complete earnestness, and in the love we've kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Grace. They had little and yet gave radically. True riches, even though they were poor. But you might be thinking, great, Tim. We had this lovely weekend, the wedding, feeling fantastic, and here we are talking about money. How on earth Can they be like that? How on earth can they have that mindset? How on earth in that culture, and let alone our culture, can they be so free even though they struggled with what they did have? And that leads us to this second point. How to get really rich. I don't know if you heard the story this week about this man. I like this guy, I think. Even though what he did was criminal, I admire him. Please forgive me. Don't do the same. Uh, You'll hear why in a moment. This man is named Duchesne Henderson Spruce, and he used to work for UPS, the parcel delivery company. And back in 2012, he came up with an idea of how he could make lots of money. Whilst working very briefly for this company, he decided to go into their computer system and change the address of the international headquarters of UPS to his own flat address. (laughs) And for a while it worked, so much so that when the police investigated him, they found 3,000 bits of post and mail that should have gone to UPS headquarters in his flat, which included credit cards for the chief exec and banks checks and all that to the tune of $58,000, which he'd put in his bank account. I have no idea how on earth he thought he'd ever get away with it, that people wouldn't think, where's that money? Oh, hmm. That's one way to get rich. I don't recommend that way, although I admire his gall. (laughs) Paul says there's another way to get rich, but the riches you get is way, way, way bigger than mere cash in your bank account. 
Look at what Paul says. He's urging the Corinthians to be generous, you see. And he says, verse eight, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. What he's saying is, I'm not telling you you have to do this, but if you say you love people, back it up is what he's saying. But then he says a gr- even greater motivation that these Macedonian Christians have got, and friends, can I suggest, is the central aspect of all of this. And it is verse nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor. So that you through his poverty might become rich. Do you see the logic? Jesus himself gave it all up, becoming poor for you. So that because he gave it all up, you might inherit all the benefits from him. Co-heirs with him, inheriting not just just the little things that we think we need, but life itself, life beyond death. That's true riches, says Paul. And it's all from an act of grace from God undeserved for you and for me. It won't have escaped your notice that amongst the festivities yesterday, a certain man took the headlines. You step into the pulpit this morning with a slight fear and trepidation based on his sermon. Loads of people are comparing. It's fascinating. More people are commenting on him than the dress, I think. It was fascinating. People, his talk, his sermon, I loved what Hugh Edwards said, it was almost a sermon. Yes, it was a sermon. (laughs) So did you see what Ed Miliband said? Hilarious. Reverend Michael Curry could almost make me a believer. Fascinating what he said. Capturing people's attention, all about the power of love. So needed in our world, isn't it? So needed in our society. People loved what he said. This is what he said, talking of an old spiritual song. Because in amongst all discussions about romantic love and love in a family and love in social action and looking after the poor in our community, this is what he said. If you cannot preach like Peter, if you cannot pray like Paul, you just tell the love of Jesus how he died to save us all. This way of love, they got it. He died to save us all. He didn't die for anything he could get out of it. He gave up his life. He sacrificed his life for the good of others. That's what love is. He died to save us all. These Christians in Macedonia knew that. And because they knew they were loved by the God of the universe, even in their desperate circumstances, there was a freedom that meant they could then simply support and look after others because they weren't in chains to this God of money. They knew that money wasn't the answer. They knew that in Christ, they were rich beyond their wildest dreams. So how do you get really rich? Not by hoarding wealth. The old story told in many sermons, I hope it's true, but it's a good story anyway, about the vicar doing the funeral of a very wealthy man in his parish. And as the coffin was being lowered, 
Somebody whispered in the vicar's ear, how much did he leave? And the vicar very wisely said, all of it. <laughs> if we make money a God, it will only let us down, chew us up and spit us out. Money will disappear when you die. Jesus won't. What a gift. Did you know that three out of five Premier League footballers go broke within five years of retiring? Money is a useful tool, but a terrible God. In contrast, when we realize all we have in Jesus or all that is offered to you in Jesus, if you're not a follower of his, is way bigger, way better than money. Because we realize the God of the universe cares for little old you and little old me. That's good news. That frees us. That's how to get really rich. And so as we come towards a close, though, there are some practicalities that Paul then talks about, about how to handle money well. And I want to say to you that if you turn open your outlook at the moment, in the very back, inside back page, you'll see a little article there about Riverside Money Advice. Because it might be that there are some people in this room right now who are saying, yeah, I get it, but actually I really am struggling. <laughs> Can I encourage you, Riverside Money Advice, do some brilliant things. There's always help to be able to help you if you're really grappling with money. There's also, interestingly, just it might be right for some people, one person here, they're actually recruiting at the moment for, for an administrator just for seven and a half hours a week. If that might be you, just the details are in there because they need to kind of continue to process all the people they're helping in so many ways. But Paul gives some practical advice about how we might handle our money well. Because if God has got us, and when we look at the cross of Jesus, we realize that he really does love us. If that's true, then money doesn't have to be a God. Money's not a savior. And so there's ways we might handle our money well. And here's the first bit. Paul writes, verse 10. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. And he talks about their eager willingness. Firstly, it stems from our hearts, doesn't it? Our hearts are key. They had a desire to give an eager willingness. In other words, it can be easy to be generous simply because people have asked us to do so or because we're aware of a particular need and feel a guilt about it. Paul says that's not the solution. Just, it's a right desire that in the light of all that God has given us, I want to then share that with other people. I think different ones of us struggle with different bits to do with money. It might be there are one or two people here who when you think to yourself, you think you're pretty good with money. You're quite careful with money. But you know deep down, if you're honest, part of the reasons that you're good with money or you think you're careful with money is because it's just a little bit too important to you. That you know that you sort of depend on money as a sort of savior, and so therefore you've got to make sure. These guys had a desire and a willingness to give even in poverty. 
Wow. Someone I know a few years ago um, was involved in something for the uh, Ministry of Defense. I don't know what it was. He wasn't allowed to tell me. But what I do know is to, for this thing that he was involved with the Ministry of Defense for is that he had to be interviewed and his family had to be interviewed and his employer had to be interviewed and even his bank accounts needed to be vetted to basically check there was nothing to blackmail him on. In the interview about his bank accounts, an astonishing thing happened because these two people interviewing him said wanted to know where this money went every month. And he said, I'm a Christian, I give it to my church. They said, that can't be true because no one gives that sort of money away. And then he was able to get his Bible out in this interview with some quite senior people to talk about why he decided that it was important to do that. They were gobsmacked because he knew that all he had in Christ meant that it liberated him. He had that heart right. That's the first thing. But secondly, do you notice something? It wasn't just a heart. They did actually do something with it. Paul says, now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. Others of us don't think we're particularly good with money. And we struggle with it, but we're not struggling with generosity, which is not very organized with it. And if we're honest, this is the bit we struggle with. It's the follow through. The heart's good, but actually we don't do the bit to be matched by your completion of it. I used to work for an organization called Tear Fund, which is a Christian development charity helping with the world's poor. It used to be in reception, as you come in, there was this big sign, which was a saying from one of the pastors in Africa, which was, you can't eat prayer. And what it was a simple reminder for us as an organization was that we love prayer. Prayer was so important but actually sometimes you can be the answer to your own prayers. And so if you're just praying and not doing, there's a gap there. And the same for these guys. Paul is simply saying, your heart's good, keep going, come on. Carry it through. So heart, action. But the third thing is this, did you notice it? For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. According to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Friends, I want to be freeing here. I'm guessing that in the room right now, there will be some people who would love to be able to give more, love to be able to be more generous, but you know things are so tight. This morning there are some freeing words for you, according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. Don't compare yourself to other people simply with what you have or don't have. That's freeing, isn't it? This is good news. And fourthly and finally, listen to how Paul ends this section. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you're hard pressed, but that there might be a quality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. There's real practical earthly wisdom here, isn't there? Don't give so much away that you then have to be a burden to other people, that you go into debt or whatever it is. Simply, in a time of plenty, you're able to use that to help others. And you know what? 
then by God's grace, as part of a family, it might be that there are times where you need it and therefore those people are then able to help you. Which therefore means for some of us, we simply need to have the courage to ask for help because for us, it's a time of need. And the family is waiting, but we may not know it, that there's a need. For others of us, if we're honest, really honest, this is a time of plenty but we haven't yet had the courage to acknowledge it in our own lives. Friends, do you want to be rich or poor? Might I suggest that regardless of your bank balance, because of Jesus, if you're a follower of his, you are rich beyond your wildest dreams. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. May God help us to live in the light of that. Let's pray together. Let's pray. I'm gonna simply pray for us. You may find it helpful to kind of hold open your hands in front of you, as it were, as a sort of way of saying, God, all I have is from you and all I don't have. (laughs) And therefore, Lord, I, I just simply offer it to you Help me to use it wisely as you will. Father, even now by your spirit, would you come and give us that sense of hope, that sense of your amazing, abundant grace. Thank you, Lord, that the things our society says about money wrap us up and put us in chains. Thank you, Lord, that what you say about money is freeing beyond our wildest dreams. Holy Spirit, come, change our lives, we pray, in the light of all that Jesus has done for us. We thank you, Lord. Amen.